Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the preaching of the word. And I ask that you would give me grace to preach in a manner which pleases you and give my brothers and sisters the grace that they need to hear and to listen in a manner which pleases you. Help us to glorify you and to enjoy you this day as we marvel at your word. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Well, as we continue through the book of Ephesians, if you're going to follow along, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll read the first 14 verses. As I said a few weeks ago, what I'm doing with Ephesians, uh, due to necessity, is every week having to rewind a few verses because Paul just keeps, he just keeps rolling along. Every, everything builds upon one thing after another. One thing builds upon another. And the only way to continue with that rolling, so to speak, and not get run over by it and get very confused is to dial back everything just a little bit uh, every week. So hear now the word of the living God. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Paul is continuing to encourage, as an apostle, to authoritatively command the Ephesians, and by way of reference, all Christians who have read this epistle, thought about this epistle for 2,000 years, he's calling us to a radically different lifestyle than those around us. Now, the word lifestyle is thrown about in our culture uh, like a Frisbee you know, with, uh, with carelessness, but, but it really does get at the heart of the matter. We are supposed to be different. We're supposed to speak differently. We are supposed to think differently. We're supposed to believe differently, and we're supposed to act differently. We're supposed to be God's holy people, are we not? That's what Peter tells us in the second chapter of his first epistle. He uses Old Testament language, talking about the holy priesthood of the Old Testament, and he applies it 
to the New Testament church. You are priests to the living God. Man, woman, and child. Now when you think of the word priest, even if you didn't grow up Catholic like I did or Eastern Orthodox, what do you think of? You're shocked, I hope, when you read in the news about some priest accused of some heinous crime. Now, you're shocked, I hope, when you hear about that in any case, but when it's someone who's walking around proclaiming to be a moral authority, the level of shock is raised, is it not? You are priests of the living God. How do you think about that? How do you feel about that? More importantly, how does that show up in your life? Would your unbelieving friends acknowledge that you are vastly different than they are? Not that you hold it over their heads. Quite the contrary. That you seek to serve them. That you seek to love them. That you seek to understand them even when they're doing the craziest things. Even when they're running their lives into a wall. Are you there for them? Do they realize that there is something exquisitely different about you? If not, then don't feel too bad. You can feel bad, but don't feel too bad because I can reasonably assert that everybody in this room can say, well, sometimes yes, sometimes no, maybe. I'm not sure. I sure hope so. I'd sure like that to be the case. Everybody's thinking pretty much the same thought. And if, by the way, you're thinking, yes, indeed they do, Pastor, well then remember the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. Don't be too certain of exactly how, how holy you're living a life. Because we all use the same confession of sin. We all need to be cleansed from our sin. And that is the essential message of Christianity. That God has sent His Son to die for the sins of the world. And those who believe in him will not be put to shame. And this is the basis of Paul's entire argument. That because God has looked with favor upon us, that because God has sent his son to die for us, and because God has given us light in our minds, he's enlightened the eyes of our hearts, therefore, he's always using this word therefore, therefore, go and do this. And this is, this is indicative of Paul. The vast majority of the time, he first tells us who we are in God. He tells us what God has done for us. And only then does he tell us what we are to do. We often get it backwards, as all of the false religions do. You do things, and then God draws near to you. The message of Christianity is vastly different. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. That's backwards. God doesn't deal with ungodly people. God does not deal with disgusting, despicable sinners in, in the vast majority of religions. In Christianity, that's all he hangs out with. Who do you see Christ cruising around with in Galilee in the Gospels? The high and the mighty? Oh, he has dinner with them. And almost invariably, he calls them out. He's there with the common person who realizes that they need salvation. God comes to us, we respond. God is gracious to us, we respond. God bestows gifts upon us and we respond. It is not the opposite. If you get that backwards, if you get that backwards, you will grind yourself into powder. 
Because then you will be trying to prove yourself worthy of an infinite, holy, eternal God's belovedness. And, well, the confession of sin automatically proves that we don't deserve it. That's the whole point. Paul is getting at this. That's why he says, be imitators of God as dear children. Notice again, like I said last week, he calls us dear children. That's where we're to imitate God. And the imitation of God to do God's righteous deeds in this world is, is the highest calling that anybody can have. And dare I say, it is the most difficult thing to do in any society. But we have been called to live in this society, in this time, and it's not exactly a bright and shining moment. It's not nearly as bad as some people think, and it's not nearly as rosy as most people think. It's a pretty dark time. And we're called to shine as lights. We are to walk in love. Notice the term walk. Love in the biblical sense is not static. Paul's very fond of this analogy of walking. This means to live your life in love. How is love defined in the scriptures? Greater love no man can have than this. To lay your life down for your friends. Now many of us particularly us men, we would, we would lay our lives down for our family, correct? We would die. No problem. But we find it very difficult to do the daily things that would require us to die small deaths. Now, if you had to jump in front of a hail of bullets, it would be over and get accolades at your funeral. You'd probably even get an article about you in the paper and you'd go off to glory if you're a Christian. But when it comes time to say, oh, okay, I was planning on doing this on Saturday or on Monday or on my day off, but my family needs this, this, and that, and my neighbors need this, this, and that, so that day is gone. Now, that is a little more difficult. Most of us would have no problem walking in front of a bus for our families and friends. But to do those little things, those annoying things, can you give me a ride? Again, that type of thing. We find that hard to do. And that's why we must walk in love. Again, as Christ loved us, and then Paul uses this Old Testament language as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. This is referencing the Old Testament sacrifices, all of which point to Christ, and all of which were bloody, all of which were brutal. Okay? The animal sacrifices were not fun. The grain sacrifices, pouring out the wine, that's decidedly less difficult than slaying a bull and spreading the blood all over the place. All of those bloody sacrifices, all of the sacrifices pointed to Christ. But particularly, particularly, those bloody sacrifices all pointed to him. And they pointed to him in one particular way, his death on the cross. Then we have that word. But, but, fornication, all uncleanness and covet, or covetousness, let it, what, not even be named among you. That, that little phrase there, let, let it not even be named among you. Actually, it's a clause. Let, not, it, let it not even be named among you it is emphatic. Not only are fornication, Uncleanness and covetousness. And covetousness in this case is actually talking about sexual covetousness. It's not a general covetousness. Fornication is any illicit relations outside of marriage. 
uncleanness is all type of unsavory behavior, and covetousness is talking about the way we think about these things. You covet things and you take them. You might, for selfish reasons, you might even want to take someone's body for your own selfish reasons. This is what Paul's getting at. And we all acknowledge that, well, of course we don't do that. Well, it's not even being named among us. It's not even supposed to cross people's minds when they think about the Christian church. The word Puritan is a put-down, but that's how they should think of us. Wow, those people are pure. Wow, my daughter will be safe there. My wife will be safe there. They're not going to bother her. They're actually going to protect her. Shouldn't be named because it doesn't fit us. It's as if it's the wrong pair of clothes. Neither filthiness... Now he's getting. Now he's going. To, he's he's kind of what he's doing is he's starting from the top. You know, fornication. That's the actual physical act. And most of us would say, well, yeah, I'm not going to do that. But now he's going to get into things that we all too often dip our toe into the cesspool of filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting. These are not fitting either. And this again has a general application, but it is talking about physical things, relations between men and women, dirty jokes, innuendos, double entendres. They are absolutely forbidden to a Christian. We know we all indulge in them at one time or another, but they're not even to be named among us. And you men, just let me challenge you, because I hate to say it very often, that it is men who are doing these things. Would you want someone to make a double entendre about your wife or daughter? Now that that'll get that'll get your that'll get your Irish up real fast. Even if you're not Irish, you'll get real mad at that one. You said what about my daughter? Can you repeat that? Actually, don't repeat it because I heard it once. It's not fitting for us. It's below us. It's sub-Christian. It's anti-Christian. And then he throws this thing about giving thanks. That, for a lot of people, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It almost as if you'd be thinking, well, Paul, I could understand if you said, you know, holy speech, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, clean speech, purified speech, but giving of thanks? Now, we all agree that giving of thanks and thanksgiving is a good thing, but in this context, it just seems as if it's out of place, frankly. But it's not. When you think about these things, a fornicator or an unclean person or a covetous person, particularly a sexually covetous person, a filthy person, and this is not talking you know, about, hey, did you take a shower this afternoon? A foolish talking person, a coarse jesting person, those six things, they all show a heart that's not filled with thankfulness. If you're thankful for what you have, if you're thankful for who God has placed in your life, you won't covet what other people have. If you're thankful for what you've been given, if you're thankful for the glory and goodness of God, you will not make double entendres about other people. You will not engage about foolish talking. You will not smirk. And let me tell you something very clearly. These things can occur without words, can't they? These things can easily occur without words, with just certain looks. We can do it and kind of get our message across. They count as well. You're not off the hook. You say, well, I didn't say anything. I wasn't jesting because I didn't say anything. I wasn't foolish talking because I didn't talk. No. Guess what? It's covered under filthiness. 
just give someone a look, you know, a good friend, it's like, yeah, okay, well, I know what he's talking about. And you get a little chuckle. There, boom, you convicted yourself. Not to be named among us because it shows a heart that is hardened. <coughs> at least at that moment. It's not a heart that is thankful for who God has placed in your life. It's not thankful for what God has placed in your life. Thanksgiving shows that you're not covetousness, but you're content. What does Paul say in another place? Godliness with contentment is gain. Being content is hard, particularly in our society where we're told more, 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 more. And you young people have got to learn to ignore advertisements. It's all about more. A second car, a third car, a bigger car, a faster car, a bigger home. Another set of clothes, another set of shoes, a better neighborhood, better this, better this, better that, new and improved, over and over and over again. If you have to watch TV and the commercial comes on, do like I do. When we're on vacation because we don't have TV, you don't want to have me in a room with a remote. Because even if it's a good commercial, even if it's an informative commercial, I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to have an instant reflex to just boom, boom, boom. I'm going to go away, even with the radio. Ask my kids, can't count it? It's going to be over in a minute. Well, for the next minute, we're listening to something else. Don't want to hear advertisements. They drive me nuts. Then he tells us these chilling things. No one who, who does these things Listen carefully, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God? One of the things the Christian church has gotten incredibly wrong in our society is the idea that God's law is dead, that God's law does not apply to us. Christ said, do not think that I came to overturn the law. I did not come to overturn. I came to fulfill the law. Now, Christ did fulfill the law's demands on that cross for us. Hallelujah. Absolutely. We don't obey God in order to gain His approval. We obey God as a way of showing our thanks. As a way of being His ambassadors in this life. Just because Christ has died for your sins does not give you the right to continue to sin. If you have that attitude, I know most of you don't, but eventually you'll run into somebody like that. I'm saved. You hear language like, Jesus is my Savior, but I haven't quite made Him my Lord yet. Well, you don't make Christ anything. God the Father made Christ Lord of the universe. The Spirit of God raised Him from the dead. You, you ain't in that company. He don't make Jesus anything. He makes you. If you're alive now, if you understand anything I'm saying, even if it's a cursory matter, that's because God has enlightened the eyes of your heart. God acts, we respond. And then Paul tells us, let no one deceive you with empty words. Notice he's, he's talking empty words, words that are, are, are void of, of essential content. Because of these things, again, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers of them. There's nothing wrong with thinking, you know what, God's wrath is going to be involved in this situation. I'm going to leave. We have this mistaken notion 
that unless we proceed from a heart of um, kumbaya type of um, gushy feelings in obeying God, that it's somehow not sincere. Well, that's ridiculous. If you're in a house and all of a sudden uh, a fire breaks out, what do you do? You run away. I heard this crazy story uh, that in the shopping mall, you might have read it, in Orlando, someone, some famous person was opening up a restaurant, and there's people down there. Now, you might recollect, about a month or so ago, there was that you know, mass shooting in Orlando. Well, the proprietors weren't thinking, so they said like, they had people pop balloons, a bunch of them at the same time. Now, if you're in Orlando, and you're in a restaurant, and it's just opening, and you start to hear, rat tat 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 pop, 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 you know what happened? Did you read about it? It was a cattle stampede. You ran. People grabbed their kids and were dragging them out. Turns out it was just balloons popping. Another good reason, kids, why balloons are evil. You know I don't like them. Okay? They're yucky. They make your cheeks blow up. They taste nasty. And if you swallow them, they're just bad, bad, bad. But that's, that was tragic. I thought, oh, when I'm reading, I thought, oh, it happened again. I thought, oh, no, it didn't. They're, they're hurt, but no one got shot. Because they understood, hey, danger, Will Robinson. There might be danger here. Well, listen, these type of things, the wrath of God comes upon people. Walk away. Run away. Don't even go into the house. If you were in that restaurant in Orlando and you heard those sounds go off, you would have run too. You would have run. Would have been smart. Why don't we do these things? For we were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Dark and light do not exist. Now, shadows are cool. And you look at them and you take photos and you say, no, move over there, you know, so I only get half your face so it looks artsy and whatnot. It's, it's cool to do that kind of stuff. But light dispels darkness. Did you know there's really no such thing as dark? It doesn't, you know, you, you can't measure darkness. There's no, there's no dark meter. There's only the absence of light. There's no such thing as cold either. There's only absence of heat. That's because God is the creator of all things and there is no evil created. There's no darkness created. There is just light and heat, warmth. Evil is the absence of good. You can't put evil under a microscope. Evil is disobeying God. And the level of disobedience can grow depending on the person. But Paul's point is, we are light in the Lord. Do you think of yourself as light in the Lord? I always forget the titles, but I came up with a really cool title again for the sermon, right? I know last week wasn't very ingenious challenges. That wasn't very ingenious, but I think I came up with a cute one this week. Light walking. I wasn't talking about you know, walking lightly on your feet, but literally walking in the light. I should just call them sermon one, two, and three, and four. That would be so much easier. But we're supposed to walk in the light. We're supposed, and that means walking in love. That again gets back to the same thing being very different. Because we were once darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. And we walk as children of light. The term children is important. Because children resemble their parents. And if we're children of light, then that means God is light. And if we're truly His children, we should act like His children. 
We don't act as if we're foreigners in God's house. Because we're not. And then he gives a little aside. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And then he tells us to finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. This comes down to knowing the law of God. What is acceptable to the Lord? Obedience. Period. End of discussion. That is it. I have done the treasure quest for you. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. It's obedience to God's law. It's obedience to the law of love. Now the finding it out, it's not just what I just told you there. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's talking about when you're in situations. When you're around fornicators and unclean people and coarse jesting and filthiness. What do you do? What is pleasing to the Lord in that regard? To join in? To leave? To give thanks? Definitely not to join in. Give thanks. To somehow stand out. To somehow be different. And we have to ask, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to be oddballs in this society? Or are we willing to just roll over and play nice doggy? Now again, this is not a cause for um, obnoxious behavior, pugnacious behavior. That's all too common in Christian circles. That's what the world expects from us. Oh, here comes a loudmouth Christian. You know, spout off about what they don't know and just jam this down our throat. That's not what they want to hear. It's not what they need to hear. And that's not what God wants us to do. Light in the Lord. Light in the Lord. You know, light, you turn it on and it just does its job, right? You can manipulate it a little bit, but it's just there. This little too gadget. Makes things different. We need to understand that when we walk into a room, particularly when we walk into a room together as a group, the room should stop. Did you have a group like that in high school? Say, oh boy, they're there. They're, 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 there goes the night in, in a bad sense. There they are. Or maybe you have a relative that you didn't think was going to come and they were there. It's like, oh, they, they came. They made it. Did you ever surprise anybody like that? It's kind of cool. It's kind of disheartening when you, when you show up and they, they didn't think you were going to be there and they kind of look like, oh, crud, we really didn't want you here. But when they're happy when you walk in the door, that's a nice feeling. When a Christian walks into the door, people should realize, especially if they know us, okay, okay, let's just, let's just not tell any dirty jokes around them because they're not going to say anything to us. We're just going to feel lousy in their presence. We're going to feel lousy in their presence. Remember years ago when I used to wear a collar, I should probably get another shirt with a collar. I was sitting in the car, Giant Eagle. I was just sitting there. Just sitting there. And no, no, no. People were sitting in a car playing like really loud music, which ironically I like. They were playing music that I like. And I walk up and they see me. And at that time it was just, yeah, I had a charcoal gray suit on and a, and a black shirt. They shut the radio off and looked at me. I thought, well, I actually like that song, but okay, I get, I get, I get it here. They thought, okay, this is a priest. Okay, look at him. Now let's just shut this off because who knows what he's going to say. It's just not cool to do that around him. You're like that when you're a kid. Grandma's there. You, you act differently. Hey, kids, guess what? We know. little secret here. We know that when we're not around, you act differently. 
You talk differently. It's not a secret to us. And guess what? We almost always know what you're doing because we were your age one time. But listen, kids, it's not supposed to be that way. The same way you would act in front of your grandmother or your great-grandmother is the same way you should be acting with your friends. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about running around. You don't want to be running around great-grandma who's 90 years old. If you're with a bunch of 10-year-olds, go outside and run around. I'm talking about the way you act. Now, you teenagers, okay? You're spreading your wings and going into the world now. Forget about your parents for a moment. The Holy Spirit is with you every step of the way. You don't have to worry about, Pastor Bowen's not here. All the elders aren't here. Mom and Dad aren't here. Party time. No, guess what? Nobody's known but God. He's there. And He's a whole lot more powerful than I or the elders or your parents could ever dream of being. He's always there. Not spying on you. He cannot not be any place. I know that's a double negative, but it makes sense. He is always present. That's why we need to walk as light in the Lord. Because if, 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 if the risen Christ all of a sudden appeared in all of his glory, you would act very, very differently. Well, guess what? He's present through his spirit everywhere you go. Therefore, act differently. That's what Paul is getting at. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. None. Why? Rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. This even reminds you of what he said up here. That these type of things are not to even be named amongst us. Well, it's the opposite here. It's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. We, We fail in this regard all the time. Christians get together and they talk about what evildoers do. Now this, again, is not just relaying information like, oh, there was a terrorist attack, or did you hear about that? That's not what it's talking about. This is talking about gleefully engaging in it. It's like it's a sinful way of participating with what they do, even while we're condemning it. We're ingenious in our sins. We're ingenious. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. This is talking about us. We're the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. <clears throat> and then he gives an allusion to Scripture. It's not a direct quote. Awake you who sleep and rise from the dead and Christ shall give you light. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ says, You are the light of the world. How did that work out this week? But you see, we need to move away from the specifics and realize that the heart of it is developing a mindset of Christian values. You see, here's the problem. This type of behavior and these type of words, they don't disgust us. We find ourselves attracted to them because we're making the wrong value judgment about them. We need to develop a mindset that is based upon God's rule of law, that is based upon God's holiness. And if that's the case, then these type of things, we won't want to partake of them because they will absolutely disgust us. We won't want anything to do with them. 
Christ has given us so much. You've been cleansed. You've been made holy. You've been made pure. In God's sight, you're perfect for all eternity. Even though you sin and mess up during the cause of the week. From an eternal perspective, you're totally clean. White as snow. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul tells us. So I'll leave you with this. If your citizenship is in heaven, if our citizenship is in heaven, and if Christ has removed us from the gutter of this disintegrating world, why are we so quick to find our beds in the sewer? It's the mindset of holiness that we need to develop. May God give us all the grace to do so. Lord, we thank you that your son fulfilled all of these things for us because we cannot in perfection. But we ask that this day and this week we would strive with all of our might to walk as your children because of what you have already done for us. In your holy name, amen.